0: Ball, deep center field it is gone home run and a huge flip to celebrate all right Ben start the show already what's up everybody and welcome into another episode of Flippin Bats we have a great one for you today Baltimore Orioles all-star center fielder Cedric Mullins is joining me what an awesome story he's about to join me here in a minute i'm excited for you guys to hear it he took the road less traveled to the big leagues, and it ended up working out just great. One of the most impressive things to me is that just this last year, he stopped switch hitting and ended up just going lefty-lefty. We're going to talk to him about that and so much more. So let's bring him in now, Cedric Mullins. Cedric, thank you so much for joining me, man.
1: Hey, thank you for having me, Ben. It's exciting to talk to you.
0: Of course. Hey, let's. so let's – Let's start from the beginning with you. As a little kid from from North Carolina, how did you get into baseball? How did you fall in love with the game of baseball?
1: Yeah, so uh, kind of how it all started. Uh, like you said, I was born in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, and then shortly after, I say by the time I was about a year years old, a year old, we had moved to Snellville, Georgia, or at yeah. least somewhere in the area, and. Uh, Around the age of four, I'd say three or four, I got a plastic golf club set for (laughs) Christmas. And instead of hitting it on the ground, you know, like the great Tiger Woods, I was tossing (laughs) in the air and hitting it at three years old. And I still don't even know how I was doing that. Like, I don't know how I was functioning properly to be able to do that at three. And so what happened after that, my dad was watching me through the window from the kitchen because we had a view to the backyard yeah. kitchen. And he I called my mom over and he was like, hey, look at this. And I was like, still doing the same thing. So he ran to Walmart and grabbed one of those old Velcro ball sets yep. where you didn't have the pad. Mm-hmm. And he took me outside again after I was done. And he was like, I want to see something. And so he put it on and he just started throwing it at me. He was like, I just want you to like catch it. <laughs> and somehow I was, you know, kind of just putting my hand where it was where it needed to be, and I was catching the ball. And uh, at that time, you had to be four years old to sign up for T-ball, so I had yeah. to wait a whole year um, to to be able to start. And that's that's when it started.
0: That's awesome. It all started with a, a set of golf clubs that you swung as a baseball. Do you do you golf yeah. to this day, or d- just baseball? I <laughs> I've
1: hit the range a couple times. Uh, <laughs>
0: Top golf is pretty fun, but I have not done a
1: full course at all.
0: So you didn't have the traditional, and I, I say traditional, but you ended up going to a junior college out of out of high school. Went to uh, Louisville, and and then ended up at, at Campbell University. How how did that process go for you? Were you not super heavily recruited out of high school, or did you always know you want to go there? How did that work? Yeah, I,
1: I definitely wasn't super recruited out of high school. Uh, we did have uh, a number one draft pick in my class at that school, Lucas Sims, who I graduated oh, yeah. with here. And uh, so I was trying to ride his coattails a little bit uh, scout wise and uh, just didn't work out. So at that time, I had been around a lot of Georgia scouts and, and felt like I needed a change of uh, scenery at that point. So North Carolina was it. And I'm actually Lewisburg got in contact with me uh, because my high school team had played a tournament in Cary, North Carolina. It was a high school invitational. And that's when Lewisburg at first saw me because it was uh, around their area and we had been in contact and, um, you know, they, they had the most interest in me uh, at that time. And uh, that's when I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm, baseball player i want to go out play you know be able to have a bottom on the field and just show what i can do and so they gave me that opportunity and uh did my two years there and then i transferred to campbell university and campbell had saw me because lewisburg played a tournament at campbell oh wow uh, so yeah they uh they were able to see me there for both those years and then uh was able to uh, secure a full ride at Campbell. So I was like, that's a, that's a pretty easy option then. The if ever
0: if, if ever there's a college, I feel like Lewisburg just pumps out the the talent. I mean, I feel like at every big college you even go to, there's guys that have gone to Lewisburg and then ended up transferring. It's ridiculous the amount of talent. Did you play? Was there anybody on that team for the two years that you were there that ended up being a big leaguer?
1: No, so. um out of my class, no one ended up being a big leaguer. Uh, recently, there was a teammate that just signed with the uh, Giants. I think he was doing indie ball for a while, just kept grinding. Oh, wow. Finally getting the shot, so that's, that's awesome for him. And uh, But, yeah, uh, like you said, uh, when I first heard of Lewisburg, of course, I had never heard of Lewisburg. And then when I did my research, they were like a powerhouse. <laughs> yeah. powerhouse. And I was like, yo, this is cool. Like, I go to a place <laughs> that's competitive. You know, regardless of it being a two-year school, that's kind of what the goal was, being able to play in a competitive league.
0: Yeah. So you end up getting drafted by the Orioles, and then, you know, you don't spend a ton of time in the minor leagues before you end up making it up to the big league roster in 2018. And I remember, so Adam Jones is actually, he was on this show, uh, you know, not too long ago, and he was the center fielder forever in Baltimore. And then you come up, and he actually agreed to move to right field so that you could play center field how how cool is that to have that happen from him and what are some things that you learned from a legend like adam jones
1: yeah uh, like that was that was really cool for him to do uh, you know for him to be patrolling center field for 10 years and then you know letting uh, letting a new face you know be able to take over that spot that was that was big of him in so many ways uh, it, it's it's kind of Like, it sucks because I didn't have that much time with him to be able to, you know, really grab a lot of uh, knowledge from him. But, you know, from that short time, you know, he was trying to kind of groom me to be a big leaguer and at the same time was trying to make me comfortable, you know, playing my style and just being myself out there. Uh, That's kind of what he was trying to ingrain in me. Like, hey, this is a grind. You're going every day. But at the same time, you got to be yourself. And that's uh, before he ended up... uh, going off to, I want to say,
0: Arizona that day.
1: Arizona, year. yeah. Yeah, he, uh, that was that's really what he uh,
0: ingrained in me. That's awesome. So do you think coming up and being, you know, you're kind of dubbed the, the new future of center field in Baltimore and Adam Jones moved to right field for you. I mean, that's got to be tough. Was that hard on you to come up and have all that pressure put on you at the time?
1: Yeah, 100%. Because coming up through the organization as like a top five, top 10 prospect, there wasn't that much pressure put on me to perform being a 13th round pick. Right. In a mid, mid-D1 school. Um, I, there wasn't much expected of me. So I was just able to kind of do my own thing and you know prove that I was more than what the numbers were saying. And as soon as I got called up, all that changed, like the the expectations of me taking over center, you know, trying to keep up with what Jonesy had did over the past decade. Like it was,
0: which is impossible to lot. make it. You know, it's, it's impossible it's, to come on the scene and do that.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a lot. Like I, it's like uh, it felt like I was trying to make up for all he had done within a year. So it was, like you said, impossible, and putting that added pressure on me just obviously didn't help out. You know I was struggling, just couldn't find myself and you know I had to go back down to uh, piece things together.
0: Did he give you any advice once you came up? He moves to right field, you're the new guy. Did, did he give you any advice upon arrival there?
1: Yeah, um, I think one of the like one of the biggest things was just trying to find a routine, like something that worked at the same time I was you know a rookie, so I was staying out of the way of veterans, so I was showing up early get into the cage early, get my workouts early and but at the same time trying to figure out what worked for me when yeah. the lights came on. So it was it was uh it was a lot, you know, trying to trying to get a cage routine down that made sense for, you know, what my swing was producing at the time and uh trying to make the best of it. And uh but yeah, just uh trying to create consistency, you know, throughout that uh, that short yeah. time with them. The tough yeah. part.
0: I, I always I really like to talk to people about this and, and pick their brains. In my opinion, baseball is the most mentally grueling sport there is, and it's every single day, and it can be a grind. And in 2018, you make your debut and you end up getting sent down twice. How how did you handle that mentally? How how hard on it? How hard on you was that? And how did you? How were you able to to bounce back and not let that bog you down?
1: Yeah, um, that's after my first time being sent down. It was kind of like a moment of, you know, you're all right, go down, toughen out the league, figure some things out. You'll be back up. The only issue is I didn't find that success when I got sent down, so right. it just spiraled out of control, and um, and then the COVID year hit. So it was it was a situation where I was like anxious 24 seven, because I was right. like, okay, I've worked on my swing all off season and trying to better myself as a player. And now I can't show myself. Now I can't show what I've worked on and see not only for myself, it, if it had worked out, but for everyone else as well, uh, that, you know, we're making decisions. And, uh, like you said, just trying to, trying to mentally toughen that out was not easy because, there are still guys, you know, coming up through the organization that, you know, are slowly knocking on the door. So yeah. it was a situation where it was like, you know, I have a very small window to establish myself. And even when I broke with the team in that COVID season, I was still, you know, fourth outfielder. So I knew my role right. as a defensive replacement. And, you know, I took that very seriously because I was like, you know, the better um, – the, the better I do at this, I'll, I'll create more opportunities for myself to, you know, see everyday action. And, you know, slowly, that's what
0: happened. So that, that COVID year, 2020, you break camp with the team. It's your first full season up there with the team. One, the COVID year throws a whole new wrinkle in things. Obviously, it's a crazy year. But also that year, you were di- diagnosed with Crohn's disease, uh, which just throws a whole nother thing into all of this. For those that that don't know, can you explain a little bit about what Crohn's disease is?
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's 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 like inflammation in the lining of your intestines and bowel, and you know it can cause a lot of discomfort, pain. It it really messes you up. So I ended up developing an infection um, near my colon, and it was uh, diagnosed through a colonoscopy. Because I was that whole year I was dealing with. Uh, like um, urinary tract infections and things of that and just oh, wow. weird stuff that I yeah. never dealt with before so um, you know was constantly getting medication and just trying to knock it out but then it would knock it out and then it would come right back so something oh, was geez. wrong to the point where I was like okay well I need you know a little deeper dive into what's right. going on I had asked I was like well can we wait till the uh, season's over since we had known by that time that we were going to be playing you know the 60 games I was like let's let's hold out yeah and once that had ended they told me what was going on they recommended the surgery that was my first surgery uh first major surgery at least and uh then uh that, that just created nerves like I didn't know what to expect right I was going to recover and all that extra stuff and coming into the next year I didn't pick up a weight or a baseball or a bat until Mm mid-January. So it was – I had, like, a month to prepare. So I was like, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to be ready. And when I show up, I'm going to be as healthy as possible and tell the front office and uh, Skip and all of them that, like, I'm ready to play. If I I have anything that pops up, I'll be honest with you. But I'm ready.
0: How did you, so not only were you dealing with a a pandemic at that time, were you also in 2020 playing with a lot of, like, were you in pain or discomfort or whatever it was dealing with what turned out to be Crohn's disease, like, while you were playing?
1: Yeah, I I think I was able to avoid the worst part of uh, Crohn's during that time. Uh, The past couple of years, though, I I had dealt with what I thought was food poisoning, and it was... It turns out it turned out it was episodes of my stomach just. Attacked. Oh wow! Yeah. So, but it would only last a few days. So that's why I thought that because I eat something, I was like, uh oh, my body projected it, and I would do it last a couple days, then I'd rehydrate, get my body back, and I'd be fine. But it like that wasn't the case. It was yeah. <laughs> Crohn's doing his thing. So.
0: So. Then that next offseason comes, which you just talked about. You you find out what's going on with you. You don't pick up a bat. You do nothing until January. Now, you ended up having the best year of your career. It was incredible. I really want to dive into this offseason. Aside from everything you found out and went through, Cedric, you stopped switch hitting in that offseason. That is mind blowing. How did you come to that decision amidst all of that, everything you were going through, to say, you know what, I'm going to come back and I'm not going to switch it anymore?
1: Yeah, it really was as simple as looking at the numbers. I uh, the, the background of my switch hitting. I didn't start switching in games until my senior year of high school, so that was pretty late to begin with. But it was something that you know attracted interest from scouts with schools and things of that nature. So I stuck with it because it it helped me stand out a little bit more. And going into 2021, I was looking at, you know, my big league numbers, minor league numbers and switch hitting just wasn't holding its own weight. Like I, yeah. my right hand wing was being way overpowered by my <laughs> left. And it was pretty obvious. So that's when uh, I kind of had to sit down with uh, the brass and, said, hey, like, I trust my left-handed swing to be able to perform at the big league level. And my right-handed swing is just not going to cut it.
0: When was the last time you had faced a pitcher lefty-lefty? Was it since your senior year of, or your junior year of high school? Yeah, that was, <laughs> it was that
1: long ago. Yeah, so at least junior year of high school, that was the last time I had faced a lefty-lefty.
0: That is ridiculous. And there's, I'm sure in the off season when you were working to, to get ready for spring you're obviously doing front toss and all that stuff lefty lefty but there's nothing like getting into the box and facing a pitcher left handed for the first time and being like oh boy we're doing this I, I can't imagine the first at bat you had back lefty lefty it had to be weird
1: yeah so the decision for me was made pretty early so I kind of dove into it as soon as the 2020 season ended so I my swing was feeling at its peak so what I did was I was able to find a couple of guys that threw left-handed like some uh some high school kids who you know, through like 83 to 85 and uh me and my agent set it up to face them like it was like hey let's let's see you know how this goes and I already knew that the uh surgery was scheduled uh for November so I did it in October okay. just to get a feel as before early as possible. Before you went into the surgery. <laughs> yeah okay. before I went into the surgery. So I said just to get an idea as early as possible what this is gonna feel like and during my recovery I can focus so knows at bats, at least have something. And uh I didn't feel too bad. So, you know, of course it was eighty five and I knew at some point I was gonna have to prepare for ninety five. <laughs> I was like, you know, just, just to get my feet wet with it and when I had fully recovered, I did a lot of machine work. I wasn't gonna find guys throwing, you know, ninety five alive. So it was just a matter of cranking the machine up, creating different angles and going from there.
0: That, that stuff is you, you know, I, I look back to when I was in spring training, every once in a while, we'd have to, you know, especially in, in live BP early in spring training, sometimes the right-handed hitters, the pitchers would have to work on their pitch outs. So they'd throw, you know, they'd pitch out with us in the box. And every once in a while, when we do that, we'd have to switch over to the left side of the box and me oh, just standing <laughs> in the left side of the box for the first time ever seeing 95 come in is like, oh God, I don't, <laughs> I I couldn't do this even if I wanted to. So um it's, it's impressive, man, that you were able to do that and, and do it so well. So hats, hats off to you for, for the work you put in to be able to do that. Thank you. Thank you. So you end up that year, um, obviously, going off, and it, it was an awesome year for you, and you end up an all-star. For the first time in your career, Cedric Mullins is a major league all-star. How cool was that? And was that something you had ever even dreamed of? Was that something that was on the table for you?
1: Yeah, honestly, that that wasn't on my list of goals. It was, I think, in my thought process before the season. It was just kind of as a whole, like, just where I wanted to try to see my numbers at the end of the year, and I kind of broken them down, you know, month by month to try to get to that point. Um, oh Man, it wasn't until, like, a solid month before the All-Star break was when the chatter started talking, and it was right. like, hey, you have a, you know, a serious chance, and uh, of course, when that happened, I was like, oh, man, now I got to try to pick it up to <laughs> <laughs> make that make that possible. But uh, I didn't I didn't add that pressure on myself. I was still focused on the goals I had laid out for myself for that year. And, um, you know, that's when the magic started happening. And, you know, I was picking up my numbers right at the right time and you know, was able to get the vote.
0: How cool was it walking into that locker room for the first time with all of the best players, in the entire world you get to walk into that locker room and did you just kind of take a second to to soak it all in what you were experiencing
1: oh yeah yeah I, I i made it a point to make sure that i introduced myself to everybody you know made my rounds around the clubhouse and even if they knew me i was like you know i feel like i should shake your hand regardless like this yeah. is a an awesome moment uh for me and you know this might be your seventh all-star but you know, it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it, it was awesome to be able to meet all those guys and, you know, get to talk to them uh, individually and just kind of get to know who they are as people. And that was just, It was just pretty cool.
0: Did you have any conversations that or or experiences, a conversation or an experience at that All Star Game that that you will remember forever?
1: Oh man, it's 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 crazy trying to think back on all that had happened throughout those three days. And yeah, uh, i say one of the, the crazier moments was, uh, you know, I, I was sitting on the field with, uh, Tim Anderson and uh, a couple of, of uh, other guys and just having all the media out there during batting practice cameras in your <laughs> face, the stadium was packed full of people. I don't think I've ever been more nervous to take BP in my life. So I was like, wow, this is <laughs> this is crazy to have a stadium full of people just during batting practice. I, you know, I can only imagine the energy for the game.
0: Your so your first ever all-star game and first of many, might I add, there's many more coming, will forever be now this was a cool one because it's the first time in history Shohei Otani was there and pitched and led off and participated in the Home Run Derby. I mean, it was wild. To me, it seemed like Shohei and the media surrounding him, it almost seemed like he was a member of the Beatles. Like, how cool <laughs> was it being around him when all that was happening?
1: Yeah, no, that was awesome. Uh, you know, got to got to introduce myself to him, and, you know, he's very punctual, of course, and you know, he was awesome to be around. And just watching what I perceived to be a grown man doing what a 12-year-old would do, like playing <laughs> doing everything like yeah. uh, pitching, you know, throwing a hundred. I looked at the gun and I was like, dude really just hit like a hundred miles an hour on his first pitch. And then goes up there to DH and hits a bullet to <laughs> the first pitch he sees. And like you said, participated in the home run derby, got off to a, a slow start, but picked it up really quick, took yeah. it to a third overtime, which I I didn't even know how overtimes worked in home run derbies. But that Neither was, that. that was crazy in itself. And that, that was a great round to watch for sure.
0: So you end up that year uh, going 30-30, first ever Oriole to do it, 30 home runs, 30 stolen bases, truly an incredible feat. At what point in the year did you realize, oh, man, like I have a legitimate shot to do this? And, and how important was it for you to do it?
1: Yeah, I'd say right around that late July March. Um, I was on – was- an interview, and I had just hit 2020, so I hit the 2020 mark, and then they were asking me, they were like, "Hey, is a 30-30 season in the works for you?" And I thought about it. I was like, oh, "We have like two months left." Yeah, I, I'd say that's possible. So it was, I was like, "Yeah, I, I, I see, I see myself doing that." And you know, at that point, I was just like, "You know, I'm trying to continue to do exactly what I've been doing the whole year, just try not to change anything." And then I got into that 20 I I reached the 30 stolen bases (laughs) and I got into 29 homers and (laughs) that's when it really hit I was like oh how much time left did you have in the year I had I had like almost 20 games left okay and I was like oh man you know I'm not gonna try to uh, force it and I ended up trying to force it because it was (laughs) was a moment where I was like man I'm in a hitters count Oh, I'm definitely going to get something I can put straight over this wall right now. And I'd pop it straight up. So it was like, Oh Jesus. And uh, I think like 11 games had gone by without me hitting a home run. So I was like, Oh, it's definitely building up. Now the talk is happening.
0: Then it's creeping
1: in your head. It's, it's (laughs) creeping for sure. I said, I cannot be the one to come this close and not pull it off. And I remember walking in the cage and our hidden instructor, uh, at that point was, uh, our hitting coach was Don Long and do I give a lot of credit for that season too. Like he was amazing with me all year, worked with me, uh, with whatever I needed, whatever I wanted. And, you know, he was a great mental coach as well. And, uh, I walked into the, the cage and he was like, so what's your, uh, what's your plan today? And I was like, Don, I'm gonna just hit a, a line drive up short. Like I'm, I'm, I'm sick of miss hitting balls. And he was like, I'd say that's a good approach. And, you know, we worked on it all that day and, uh sure enough, you know, got into a situation where was, uh two men on base, you know, was trying to drive a run in, not trying to do too much, and that's exactly when it clicked. I tried to hit a line driver short, kept my hands inside the ball on the slider, and took it dead center.
0: So there you, you weren't were you ahead in the count at the time? It wasn't your typical what you had been doing for the last 10, 11 games. It was when you get a three-one count, you're like, "All right, I'm gonna hit this ball out." And that's how uh-huh. it always happens. You're okay. You're you're battling. You're trying to do what you need to do for the team. And then next thing you know, it gets done. And yeah, that's-
1: yeah, I, I want to say I did get us get myself ahead in the count, um, which didn't mean it was a fastball count. <laughs> it's no. the game's totally <laughs> different now in that state. But uh, but yeah. I, I had a feeling I was going to get something uh, to drive uh, in the gap, and you know, was able to put the put the home run swing on it.
0: it. It always is mind blowing to me when I look back at at last year when Miggy got his his 500th homer, and you know, you see those guys that that you know they're going through that for a career, like one of the greatest feats of all time. And I watch Miggy go about his business, and he's just so calm and cool and collected. And it's those, like, milestones that I don't understand how he's not coming up sitting on 499 home runs, just absolutely freaking out. But Miggy doing what Miggy does. He goes oppo, hits a homer, probably was trying to hit a double in the right center gap, and it just clicks.
1: Yeah, like, uh, we get a chance to have really short conversations with Miggy. I think one thing to take away is that he doesn't give any of bats away. I think that's exactly how – he was able to, you know, put the career that he has and continuing to, you know, move forward with his milestones. Is he takes every bat seriously. And, you know, if he, you know, lines out, you know, things of that nature, he's, he's okay with it. He knows he didn't give the bat away. And I think yep. that's the thought process that, you know, I try to take it to every bat.
0: Yep. So So this year, coming into the season at Camden, they moved the left field wall way back. What was your initial thought when you heard that was happening? What was your initial thought there? My
1: initial thought was, I wonder what it's going to look like in person. Because when I was seeing the, um, the I guess, the Twitter feeds of what the construction was looking yeah. like, it's kind of hard to tell how far it was. And then I finally saw it in person. I was like, whoa, this is, <laughs> <laughs> this is more drastic than I anticipated. And it showed. Like, we, like, facing other teams, they come come in, they're like, dude, that wall is really far back. And I was like, yeah, good luck. (laughs) Like, trying to beat it, and we have a couple of guys that have beat it on our team um, so far, but it has not been an easy feat. It's got to be an absolute bomb.
0: Do you think the combination of the left field wall being moved back and whatever is going on with the baseballs this year, whatever it may be, do you think that has made it too difficult to hit a home run to left field at Camden.
1: Yeah, th- those factors and like you said, I you know whatever's going on with the ball, uh, it it's made it a lot harder. Like we're we're looking at the numbers and you know everything's analytics now, and so we'll look at you know our exit velocity and our launch angle. And if, if it seems ideal for a home run and it's not going over, like we do question that. Yeah. <laughs> You know, we're we're trying to we're trying to have success out there and it's just you know hard hit ball after hard hit ball and they're getting caught.
0: Cedric, I, I truly feel like the Orioles are close and that winning baseball is close in Baltimore. You have guys coming up, and unfortunately there was an injury this year, but Adley Rutschman is an absolute stud. Grayson Rodriguez, I think is gonna be really good. You're there in center field, the core of the team I think has so much potential to be great. How close are the Baltimore Orioles to being great, to being a playoff contender year in and year out? Yeah,
1: I, I honestly can say that I think we're closer than what most people think. And like you said, we have guys that are, you know, right right there at the, the cusp of making their debuts and uh, making huge impacts for the team. And, you know, I think uh, the group that we have right now is, we all know that they're coming. So right now we're focused on trying to create that winning environment that they can come in and have that intensity about and have the, the pride to go out there and play their butts off. And we're going for the win every single night. And so that's what, you know, the group that we have right now is trying to solidify before you know, those guys come up.
0: Yep. So, all right, I have some, some fun questions for you uh, before we finish up here. And the first of those would be, who is the toughest pitcher, that you have ever faced. Huh, toughest
1: pitcher I've ever faced. A few on that list. Uh name them all. <laughs> nah, nah, I can't let them know. I can't let them know. <laughs> but uh I'd say one for sure was uh Chris Sale. And the thing is I've had at bats uh versus him right-handed and now left-handed. So <laughs> I was like right-handed was hard enough and then I stepped in the box and this man looks like he's throwing the ball from the dugout and just trying to keep my eye on it and not see it as a different pitch like I know one time he threw you know a slider that looked just like a fastball out the hand And I was like it's, it takes I feel like I have to turn and break my neck just to try to create an angle to you know see the pitch out of his hand so he's probably one of the tougher ones I faced
0: in terms of hitting lefty lefty I mean he's got to be the hardest guy lefty lefty to hit right I mean he's throwing the ball from what looks like behind you he's tall and lanky he's moving all over the place that has to be the toughest lefty lefty at bat I would think
1: yeah I'd say so and guys that kind of emulate what he does just cross body like you said tall coming down from a very high angle uh outside your body and you you're having to you know keep your shoulder in and Try to hit the ball the other way. Like that's just not easy.
0: Yeah. All right. So I'm I'm from Virginia, grew up going to Camden Yards a lot. I I think it's one of the nicest stadiums. I love it. But let's take Camden Yards out of the equation here. Other than uh, Camden, what is your favorite stadium to, to go to to play in? Uh,
1: I I feel like I can only give the fair answer if I had been to all 30. Uh, sure. We're playing in St. Louis today, and I hear that that crowd is electric. The stadium's awesome. I, out The ones that I've played at so far, oh, man. Um, one of my favorite ones was Seattle when I went there for the first time, and I really enjoyed that stadium. They had the retractable roof, which I thought was cool for – you know, weather purposes. And yeah. I know more, more stadiums are starting to incorporate that for uh, just to get the games in. And uh, just me being there, it was around my debut time. So that one sticks out the most because it was one of my first travels uh, on the road.
0: Okay. All right. A lot of players, by the way, pick the Seattle Stadium. T Mobile, I think it is now. Every, everybody loves that place. Wait, I was so I was watching the other day, and it's one of the stadiums, one of the few. That I haven't been to, so this might be a dumb question, but there is a roof. But the other day I was watching, and everybody's wearing long sleeves, and you can see their air, their breath. Like, is it not fully enclosed? I don't no, know. No,
1: not it's not. Based okay. on what I saw, it's like an umbrella, so there's still openings. Interesting. But just for the sake of rain, they're able to cover it up.
0: Okay. All right. Interesting. All right. What is? Do you have a game? that you have played in that sticks out as, like, the greatest game you have ever played in? Like, for myself personally, back in college, I had a game where I hit three home runs in a game, drove in seven, so th- that's one that sticks out. Do you have one at any point in your career that sticks out, like, oh, my God, that was awesome?
1: Uh, Yeah, one, one that definitely was the most fun for me was uh, I had a T-shirt night at Camden, and, you know, there was a lot of hype around. I was playing really well, the All-Star, uh, selection was also in the making at that point, mm-hmm. uh, so there was a lot of excitement around my T-shirt night. The guys had wore the T-shirt out on the field, <laughs> you know, just everything was happening at the same time. And uh, one of our uh, one of the ladies in our PR department that came up. She was like, "Wow, wouldn't it be cool for you to hit a home run on T-shirt night?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, that would be cool. That'd be pretty awesome, actually." And uh, we were facing Robbie Ray that day, and first at bat was working the count took a couple of good swings. And then I had actually, I got him on a fastball. I'm going to say it was a three, two count. And uh, took it for a home run first at bat. So I was like, Oh, this day's already made. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know, the energy of the crowd that night and uh, later on in the game, I ended up putting a second ball over uh, for a three run shot to kind of extend the lead. Uh, that was my first standing ovation. So they, that's sick. they were chanting my name, fans were chanting my name. It was awesome. I didn't really know what was going on at the time. They were like, Yeah, like go out there. You know, <laughs> oh, okay. So I went, ran up, tip my helmet to everybody, and that was that was just an amazing experience.
0: All on t-shirt night. That's so sick. All on t-shirt night. <laughs> um all right. If if Cedric Mullins wasn't a baseball player, what would you be? Uh
1: so my best subject in school was math, surprisingly. And I'd like, I was actually so good at it. I had, I'd taken calculus my senior year of high school
0: mm-hmm.
1: and Jeez. I don't know what jobs <laughs> correlate to <laughs> so much math, but it probably would have been something along those lines, like maybe some form of engineering, uh, some, uh, maybe consulting, something along those lines where, uh, I'd be able to use my math brain and get to work.
0: All right, I love that. All right, if you could take BP, if you could put together the ultimate BP group, you and and four others, all time. It can be some of the greatest of all time. It could be guys you think are funny, guys that you just like. What is the ultimate BP group that you would put together? So how many people were we talking? Four others. Let's go with four. Four. Others. Okay, four others. All right.
1: So, besides myself, Tony Gwynn, Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah, have to. Uh, Ricky Henderson. And someone who I think is funny. I feel like Jose Canseco is funny. <laughs> <laughs> so I throw him in there. I, I don't know why, but so he, he gives me off vibes that he's just hilarious.
0: Cedric Mullins, Tony Gwynn, King Griffey Jr., Ricky Henderson, and Jose Canseco. Yeah.
1: And then I love I that.
0: to see absolute bombs on top of that. That's yeah. It. I love that. That's a great group. That's fantastic. All right. Last one for you. And and this one's a little, you know, this one's a little more serious. Your, your journey wasn't the easy route, Cedric. You weren't a, a top draft pick. You didn't go to a big school. It wasn't the traditional route. If you could give a piece of advice to younger baseball players, what would it be?
1: So one piece of advice that stuck with me uh, when I was uh, basically growing up, going through school, was that – and being a major league baseball player was my dream. And I was told that there are a million ways, a million routes, to become a big leaguer. And when you hear my story, that definitely holds true because this is not traditional, like not out of high school, didn't go to a major D one, went to a junior college, just took the uh just took the road less traveled, I guess. And uh, you know, to still be in the situation is a blessing. And you know, I, I know that I put in a lot of work, so I you know, the perseverance and just the dedication I had towards the game uh definitely helped out. But just knowing that there is a million routes to get to the same point, uh, you know, be something I tell a younger guy just cause Everyone wants to be the main guy, it's just sometimes it takes a little longer.
0: That's awesome. Well, Cedric, thank you so much for joining me, my friend. Uh, keep killing it. Good luck the rest of the way. You're always welcome back on here. You're forever uh, a flipping bats pod friend, and uh, and and I appreciate you, man. You have a big fan in me, so thank you so much for joining me. Oh, yeah, man, I,
1: I really appreciate it. Thank you,
0: man. That was awesome, and I just wanted to thank, again, Cedric Mullins for joining me. What a great dude, a great player, and it was cool hearing his story about how he really did take that road less traveled and turned it into an all-star big league career. Absolutely incredible. I am a huge fan of his. I hope all of you are as well. Thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of Flippin' Bats. Make sure you're subscribed. Follow the episode wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify. Just hit that subscribe button. Rate it five stars if you want. Um, also, social media Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and every episode you can watch the video on YouTube at Flippin' Bats Pod for all of those socials. Thank you all for listening. I will see you tomorrow. Live episode of Flipping Bats on Thursday. Until next time, peace.